53-man roster predictions. I pulled up a spreadsheet, which I definitely know how to use well. So just to recap, we got three quarterbacks, seven wide receivers, four running backs, three tight ends, nine offensive linemen, six defensive ends, four defensive tackles, five linebackers, five corners, five safeties, and then you have three specialists. I can't figure out the math. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have got so much to talk about. It has been a very busy day across the NFL and for the Chiefs specifically, so let's not delay at all. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's ready to try to be Matt Jones' backup. Jacob Allen is with us. What's going on, man? I'm insulted. I feel like I can throw better than Matt Jones. He's excited to watch Randy Moss, I mean Justin Ross, dominate the league. Sam Black is here. What's going on, dude? It's the prodigal son. He's always been here. He didn't have to return. And I am Sean Vegan, and I am sad we won't get to see the second coming of Hungry Pig Wright. Before we do anything, I do feel I need to make an amendment to our podcast from last week. If you remember, if you're listening to the Open... You'll remember I said that uh, I indicated I'm not the best with Excel, but I'm not the best with numbers in general. So I do want to thank uh, our dear friend Hunter, who is always there to correct me. We did have 54 players on our 53-man roster last week because apparently I had one of my cells not corresponding to the total number of players. So when we go through the Chiefs, Uh, roster cuts. That'll be our our last topic to close with here with the show. You may notice a few differences, one of them being they don't have as many players as we had predicted they have. So uh, thank you, Hunter, for letting me know. And uh, thank you to all of you who tolerate my inability to do math and work with uh, Excel or the Mac knockoff sheets, numbers, whatever it's called. See, I don't even know the name of it. Let's dive into football. Jonathan Taylor is what we're going to lead things off with. We're going to start with the national stuff. And the news is that nothing happened. The Colts decided that they did not want to trade away Jonathan Taylor. The irony of the position being that they don't want to pay Jonathan Taylor, but they want to get the draft pick compensation for a player of his caliber, which is the seeming, seemingly the same across the league. Just this odd paradox that all these teams find themselves in. So Jonathan Taylor remains a Colt, at least as of now and is left on the pup list, meaning that he will miss the first four games of the season. Outside of just hurting my fantasy team, this also is a big blow to the Colts. And I think we want to talk about not just that situation, but maybe just kind of how maybe teams should approach this going forward if they have a situation of, of this magnitude with a player like Jonathan Taylor. But let's start with just Taylor himself, guys. What are your thoughts on the situation, how it resolved itself, just kind of how we got to this point? Taylor is not a Dolphin. He's not an anything except an Indianapolis Colt, and he is now on the pup list. What are your guys' thoughts? Sam, we'll start with you. I mean, Sean, if you're real worried, I, I can throw you a smooth third-rounder for Jonathan Taylor. I'll just ride up, straight up, third-round Jonathan Taylor. He's not going to play anyway, so you're getting next year's capital. What do you, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> so that trade right now. Uh, no, I, I didn't. It was it was one of those that it was going to be so improbable if it happened. 
Um, I just, they're just such devaluation. You saw, um, again, Josh Jacobs went ahead and signed his, got a new deal as well. Um, so that obviously did not help Jonathan Taylor, I'm sure, because if you're looking at the running back situation, you've got maybe the top three. Well, you, you can argue who the best running backs in the league are, but within the top five, you've got say Kawan and, and Josh Jacobs, who both signed these one year, not really more than the franchise tag deals. And then Jonathan Taylor's over here trying to either get traded or get a big money deal. And it's just, it's just not going to happen. Like, the teams that were floating it out there too, I, it's like how how are they going to manage like the Dolphins, the Eagles, these teams that are already super top loaded? I, I haven't looked, I didn't look at their cap at all, but it's like you were renting Jonathan Taylor for one year, and no one's giving up a first round pick for a one year rental, unless your name is Chris Jones. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so yeah, it, it didn't surprise me that he didn't get traded. And I think it's more so just the, as we've talked about several times in the past, the the environment surrounding the running back position currently. Jacob, what about you? When it was all said and done and Jonathan Taylor was still a Colt and then also just inactive, what were your thoughts on this situation? Let me play off of Sam and say, I think Sam's right in the sense of, the reason no one's trading for them is because no one is getting a deal. So I don't think anyone is trying to trade for either guy on a one-year rental, which is why the trades aren't happening because the teams aren't wanting to pay either one. So I think it's a, a, a like sentiment. I mean, it's almost like, like a housing market <laughs> bursting with the running backs of eventually they're going to have to understand that what they think they're worth is not right and, running back value is going to go down in the league. I think that's just where we'll get. And we're going to have a couple, you know, a few more years of guys saying I'm worth more than I, the NFL thinks they are. And then eventually, you know, more and more guys will just settle and be like, Hey, this is what running backs worth is now. So the market will dip, I believe. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the market correction looks like when it's all said and done. I didn't really have a whole lot of thoughts for either side of this because I think we've talked a, a lot about perspectives of both how the team views things. You know, you don't want to put your team in a bad position with a bad contract for a, a highly volatile investment, but also guys who put their bodies on the line in one of the more ruling positions in sports, why they want to get paid. And it all makes sense. Like I get where it's coming from. It is just sad. I think the thing I landed on was like, it's just sad to me that, I think the business side of things at times as exciting as it can be for fans because it's great when your team trades for a stud or they, they lock up, you know, when Patrick Mahomes gets a big extension, we get very excited. It becomes a huge talking point. But then you see the business side of it affected in this way. And it really, I'm, the game's better with Jonathan Taylor on the field and he won't be for the first four games. And then who knows, like, is he going to hold out? Is he going to pull a Chris Jones, wait till week eight? We don't know. So, I think that was my big thing. It's just like, I, I'm frustrated that we're at this point where the business side of things is starting to really affect in terms of games missed what happens on the field. Cause traditionally at least guys have played the holdout, the missed training camp, they'll get to the regular season and they'll play. And it seems like 
you know, the Chiefs specifically, and then, you know, the Colts and other teams at large are starting to deal with the idea that maybe they're not going to have their guys play. That kind of leads me into the next point, which is, how would you guys have handled this? And again, none of us are general managers. We don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes. I've already proven I can't keep a, a, a financial book or an interest spreadsheet or anything like that, which don't let my bosses hear that because it's what I do for work. So it's it's kind of a thing where I'm, I'm, I don't have all the details. I don't have all the knowledge that some of these people do, but clearly some things could have been handled differently. So what would you guys have done? Would you, how would you have done things differently than what Jimmy was saying Chris Ballard did with the situation with Jonathan Taylor? Jacob will flip things this time and let you bat lead off. Well, first off, I wouldn't have had Jim Irsay as my owner because that never helps anything. I mean, I think that's the reason this one really got turned upside down. I think they would have probably offered him a decent-sized contract, but I think Jonathan Taylor was so fed up that he's like, I need to be the top-paid guy because – I hate, don't like this organization. But even still, you know, let's say it was was the Chiefs and you had Jonathan Taylor and you're at this impasse of, I want money to keep playing here. I think you would have traded him pre-draft. And I think they're kind of, like a, like Sam's already said, you know, it's kind of a similar situation of kind of stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place of this guy won't play unless he gets more money, but... How long will he really, truly do that? Sam, what about you? Is there anything you would have changed or handled differently than the way things played out in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I mean, Jacob's right. If if I was Chris Ballard, I would have locked Jim Irsay in a room with a bunch of alcohol and no phone for the foreseeable future until we got a deal done with him, number one. He probably would have been perfectly fine. Like, he could have drank all the alcohol in the world and come out and been the exact same person. So wouldn't hurt him at all it's unfortunate it it like it's almost one of those that in retrospect you want to get that deal done a year ago kind of the 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 essence of like the Patrick Mahomes deals where you're doing deal you're if you have a player that you're you intend to stick with you do the deal before it needs to be done and then that way you're not competing with because like they should have seen all of these contract years coming up at once and I think that's the big thing they should have paid attention to is you had multiple running back deals coming up this year. And some of the best running backs in the NFL, if I'm a GM, I'm looking at that and being like, maybe we should just knock it out early. Maybe we can get a somewhat of a discount and then we can work through it for an entire season and not have to rush through the offseason where now we have a guy that's pissed off and not going to play. But ultimately, I think with how it was played out, there wasn't a lot they could have done differently because I, I, I think Jacob's right. He just he doesn't want to be on that team anymore, and it doesn't matter what they're going to do. I don't think they could have gotten a deal done with them. Yeah, for me, the first thing that I do is yeah, I keep it private, the way you guys have talked about already. I think that's one thing the Chiefs did really, really well with the Tyreek Hill situation, because none of us knew anything about that for the longest time, until all of a sudden it was reported that the Chiefs are actively shopping Tyreek Hill five minutes later. The Chiefs are are in negotiations with Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. 20 minutes later, the Chiefs have traded Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. We, it all happened so fast because they kept things locked down. They obviously have been working on that for much longer than I think obviously any of us realized. 
but it didn't lose the team any leverage and it didn't create a whole lot of bad blood between them and the agent in the negotiating process. For me, it's, I agree with you, Sam. I would have tried to, even if you don't have them sign the contract, at least like start those talks. Like, hey, we see Jonathan Taylor as our future. We want to keep him around, especially if you know you're going to be trying to look at this quarterback class, which they did. Like, you knew at the beginning of this year, like, after the first, what, four games, we're probably going to be looking at one of these quarterbacks. So why not, like, try to, like, identify the pieces that we want around that quarterback and then try to get something done? I don't think there's any, I don't think there are any rules for when you can do an extension. So I don't see why you wouldn't do that. And if you weren't going to do that, if you had identified Jonathan Taylor as, okay, we don't need, we're not going to pay him, move him. I would have, I would have been much more proactive. I would have moved him last year. But I think those are the decisions that general managers and teams get hung up on. Because the player is so good. Jonathan Taylor is elite. And it's really hard to walk away from those guys, even if you know this is not a good investment. And it's hard to trade guys at the peak of their value. But that's when it's most important to do it if you don't think that guy is going to be around long term. This next question is very pertinent to what we're going to talk about after we're done talking about Jonathan Taylor stuff. And that is. Obviously, this went bad fast between Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. It went bad very fast. And obviously, they weren't getting the deal, uh, the offers that they wanted from other teams in order to move Taylor. But now they might get nothing. Uh, You can tag him, and you can do all this other stuff and hopefully move him and whatnot, but are you really going to get anything different knowing that you've now got to pay him a fully guaranteed contract? That's going to be in the 10 to $12 million range next year. I don't know. So at what point, if you guys are the general manager, what point do you just take what you can get, take the best offer available and move on from what is a headache and a distraction and the risk of you might not get anything but a compensatory pick for this player. When is that for you guys? And we're talking about like, you know, elite players, granted it's a running back, but Elite talent. When is that spot for you, Sam? We'll, we'll let you take the lead this time. Um, I, to be honest, I think you're there. I think the difference between the, as we'll talk about with Chris Jones and, and the Jonathan Taylor, is the relationship between the player and the team is terrible with Jonathan Taylor. I don't think that's the case with Chris Jones. Now, fans and Chris Jones, that's a different story, but within Jonathan Taylor and, and the organization that, that Jim Irsay ensured that was over when he made that ridiculously dumb comment about Jonathan Taylor, like not being in the league. That was, that's like saying, no, you're worthless and we don't care. So I honestly, it's, it's to the point where it's, can you salvage somehow salvage a second out of this? And I think that's going to be a reach at this point. But I, I think they're already there just because of the how the relationship has played out between him, Jonathan Taylor, and the Colts front office. Jacob, what about you? Is there a a point in this process where you would have been like, we just got to take the best offer available. It'll be better than the compensatory pick. We're getting nothing. It'll be best for our team in the long run, even if it really hurts right now. 
towards that point for you. Yes. Yes, Sam is right. <laughs> Take whatever you can get at this point. What's your best option? He sits out a whole year. Does that void his contract this year if he doesn't play? No, if he doesn't play for the full year, what it means is that he doesn't actually accrue a full season, and he's still under contract for the same year. So essentially his contract will not progress. It will okay. not expire. He has to play by week. I used, the wrong, I used the wrong words for void. I should have said, does it mean his contract is just pushed a year? I mean, that's why the week eight deadline that Chris has put out there, like Sam just said, like week eight, you have to have played by that point. Welcome. Yeah, I'd still, you're you're there. If you're waiting on him to, you know, play week eight to it, you know, expire his year of his contract, I think you're already in trouble. And you're like, again, you're the Colts. By that time of the year, what's your record really going to be? Are you really going to want Jonathan Taylor playing worthless games for you? Somebody calls and offers you, like Sam said, a third-round pick. I think, realistically, you take that in a heartbeat. For me, the moment you said we've given Jonathan Taylor to pursue a trade and you've had the first wave of inquiries, at that point I'm starting to think, okay, this market is definitely not it. If we're not willing to pay Taylor, we need to start thinking about lowering our price. I think that was the moment. And part of this does – the part – part of this that matters maybe more than other positions is he is a running back. Like, and that is a a tough investment to put a lot of money into. And so a lot of teams aren't going to want to invest a lot of draft capital. So for that situation, mine's probably pretty early. Like if they, if that first wave of negotiation goes through and, you know, my best offer is a couple of seconds, maybe I need to sit down with, if I'm the general manager and go, look, Jim, like, we're not getting a first. I don't care how good he is. And it's going to do more for our team if I can get these seconds than if he just sits and doesn't play or he walks and we get, like, you know, a, at best a late compensatory third round pick or at the very end of the third round. So for me, like, that's that's the moment. I think that's something that I've heard Seren, the reason I put this question on here is I hear Seren Petro on 810 talk about this all the time. It's like at a certain point, what you can get is better than nothing. And if you're faced with nothing, it's why, why are we even talking about it? Sometimes you just have to take the best offer you can get and move on because that's what's best for the team. It might not be ideal. It might not make anybody happy. But if Jonathan Taylor ain't playing football for me, I want the second round pick because he's not going to play. So yeah. for me, I, I think I'm a little bit earlier even than, than where you guys are. No, and I think uh, just as reference point to what you're saying, Sean, like put in perspective, Christian McCaffrey was traded for a second, third, and fourth. And he wasn't disgruntled with the front office. And there was an exchange of a fifth back. The 49ers gave him a fifth. You're not get, even getting that. Like you're not getting close to a second, third, and fourth because teams know he doesn't want to play for you. Like that's the, that's the problem with what why this relationship why having that such a bad relationship is is all the other teams see it and they're like we can wait we don't have to sign him. like trade you now he's gonna be on the free game market eventually <laughs> like so yeah it's yeah bad deal all around we're gonna move to some chief centric topics but I want to keep this this 
mindset here because I think it's it's easy to do that, you know, hey, take it now with other teams' players. I think it's a lot harder when you look at it with your own. I think that becomes difficult. And we're going to talk about Chris Jones now because nothing happened with Chris Jones today. There was no trade. There was no extension. There was no no movement. And apparently through all reports, it sounds like there hasn't been any communication here for a hot second, which is not ideal. So keeping the, we're going to flip back around to this, but I, I want this to be in the back of our heads about the, you know, take what you can get when you can get it. But I want to do some prefacing first. So first question, when does Chris Jones play? He's threatened to sit out till week eight. Sounds like there's been no communication. Chiefs are hurting for pass rush up the middle with Charles Amenehue being suspended for the first six games. And now Chris Jones is has still not reported. He got put on the uh, did not report uh, reserve list. So when does he play? Jacob, we'll let you bat lead off. When does Chris Jones make his first appearance as a Chief? It might be week eight. I think both parties, I think it's more on Chris Jones than it is the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are like, go for it, sit out to week eight. And I think Chris Jones is probably going over his options of, you know, do I want to lose that much money if the Chiefs are truly going to keep say staying firm, which I think they are, because I think their new policy is we're not letting anybody, you know, make or break us or tell us what we're doing besides Patrick Mahomes. Sam, what about you? When when do you think Chris Jones first steps on the field to play a regular season game for the Chiefs? The, the optimist in me wants to believe that Chris Jones comes back week one and plays out the season because he understands that, hey, I can still win a Super Bowl with this team. And again, sitting out does nothing for his contract negotiations next year. Because guess what? If you sit out till week eight, you're not going to have double-digit sack numbers. You're not going to be an all-pro. And teams aren't going to look at you the same way as they're looking at you right now after your best season as a, NFL, as a pro in the NFL. So that's my optimistic hope. My realistic hope, I'm shooting for like week four or five. I still don't think he holds out till week eight. But it is – but again, I, like, like I said with the John Taylor thing, I don't think the relationship has broken down between the front office and Chris Jones and his agents. Like the fans are obviously turning on him. And I don't think Chris Jones can care less. He is laughing at it, obviously joking, making lots of jokes, and, and just kind of playing into it. At least that's what the way I read into it. So I don't think there's a bad relationship between him and the front office at all. But he, he wants his money, and, and I think he's going to hold out for – the potential for him to hold out for an extended period. But I can't see him going until week eight. I Like four or five, I would be surprised if it made it past that. I hope it is not past game four. I would like to, I'm hopeful that he plays the first quarter of the season. If he doesn't, I don't expect him to be back before week eight. I think that'll be my indicator that, okay, Chris Jones is probably not going to be a chief next year. Is if he doesn't play in the first quarter of the season, I'm banking he won't be back until his his definitive deadline he gave of week eight, which sucks. Uh, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. 
I don't think it'll be before, if it's not before that week eight. I think he I think he's serious about week eight. If he doesn't play, and we're gonna take my my thought of if he doesn't play before week eight, he's not a chief next year. Where does he play next season? And if you think it's the Chiefs, you know, hey, I'll even take that. Like, I don't don't exclude that in my sentence. I just kind of did kind of exclude it. But taking that back, just is he going to play for the Chiefs next season? Does he play for another team? Where does Chris Jones suit up for 2024? Sam, we'll start with you. Again, my in my heart, I say the Chiefs. I just – I think there will get a point where uh, – they reach a, a an amicable agreement between the two parties where it's like, okay, that's a fair contract for what we're looking for. I think, honestly, I think the reason he hasn't been, like they want to keep him. No, There's no doubt about that. But again, I don't think they're going to get the compensation that I think that Chris Jones is worth or that they probably think Chris Jones is worth. And that's why he hasn't been traded yet in reality. If he's not, I'm just going to stick with the Chiefs. I'm not even going to put it out there that he's not. I'm just going to say he's a Chief. Jacob, what about you? Where do you think Chris Jones plays football in 2024? If you're betting, you bet the Chiefs. I mean, it's the favorite. If I had to choose a team I think makes sense, I would say the Bears. They need a pass rusher. They have plenty of draft capital to trade. Ryan Poles has a connection there. And then it's in the NFC, which I think would be ideal. So, but I'm still saying Chiefs heavy favorite. Unless things change here pretty quick, I don't think it's the Chiefs. If I had to bet money right now, I would say not the Chiefs. Just for the fact that there's been no communication. Chris Jones has already put Week 8 out there. We didn't get any movement today. One way or the other, we got nothing. So if I'm going to bet, I, I think the Bears is not a bad one. But uh, I don't know, I'll say the Niners. Why not? Just they don't have a quarterback. They got to load up somewhere. So, say San Francisco. Well, the crazy thing, and I think the reason I go odds on Chiefs is, you know, how much does Chris Jones hurt himself sitting out? I mean, what if he comes out and let's say he plays Week Eight, but then he has four sacks this year? Like he doesn't play bad, but he has four sacks. Right. It's like, what contract did you turn down? to get what you're about to get, which then you have to turn around and be like, well, the Chiefs have always been loyal to me, so I guess I'll take a deal they gave me that was also prorated from what they prior had. <clears throat> Orlando Brown. <clears throat> I think Chris Jones needs to look a, <laughs> deeply into what happened with Orlando Brown last year and realize, I, again, Chris Jones is a far better player than Orlando Brown, don't get me wrong. <laughs> But the Chiefs offered Orlando Brown a very big deal, and then he played like shit and didn't get that good a deal, did he? No. Or on the flip side, Le'Veon Bell, who set out the entire year, got a deal and then didn't get to the end of it because, you know, sitting out from football, like Sean was telling us saying prior to the podcast, is not a way to make yourself better at football. But if he has traded the Bears, I'll take uh, Gervon Dexter. Or the Panthers first. Yeah. I would take that too. You know what? Before we ask this last question, I want to put it, I want to put you guys on the spot because I didn't put this on the rundown, but now I feel like I really want to put this out here since we asked it about Jonathan Taylor. When do you take whatever you can get for Chris Jones? 
Because I, I can make you an argument, we're there. Like, I can, I can make that argument. I don't know if I believe that, but I think there's an argument to be made that we've arrived. When do you go two seconds is enough for Chris Jones or a second-round pick is enough for Chris Jones and, as opposed to just hoping that he gets a big enough contract that you can get a third-round pick that's essentially a fourth-round pick? Sam, we'll start with you. Next year, the tag and trade because we're still a Super Bowl contending team. And even if Chris Jones reports at week eight, that means there are still nine games left plus the playoffs that we can use Chris Jones. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Jay, what about you? Where Where's your deadline? When is it? Take what you can get. I like that as a scenario that Sam has presented, like, that one I'm fine with. Like, if that is realistically what happens, I'd be cool with that. But also, I mean, if someone's called, if someone calls and says two second round picks, I'm like throwing a fourth and he's yours, just because you know that many lottery tickets, at least in good value spots, might be worth it for a guy you probably won't come to a contract with. And like you said, a third round pick, the end of the third round, so essentially a fourth rounder is what you're going to get for him. I, I really like the scenario Sam laid out. I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you're going to get anything for him next year on a franchise tag. So if you can get, like, if it's if I'm taking anything I can get, then, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to wait until you tag him and trade him. I think the problem with that is it just depends on how long he sits out. Um, I forgot about this, but Joel Corey tweeted out some really good information. If you're not following Joel Corey on Twitter, you should. He's a former uh, NFL agent or sports agent who does a lot of contributing to CBS and does some spots on 810. But he talked about how how the franchise tag is calculated is also based on how much you have played and your salary. And so as opposed to getting the 31 to 33 million, it could be fully guaranteed if he played the full season based on his, his salary and then his uh, guaranteed bonus proration, it would be about 22.75 is what he's looking at for, for a franchise tag. Could be up to 23 and a quarter or 25 and a half or 24 and a half, just depending on if he were to hit his sack incentive. But that's kind of that's what you're probably lowballing offering him right now. I don't know. I, I, if you're talking to me and it's just a third round pick, then I'd, I'll wait, tag and trade. But if I'm getting two seconds right now and I'm Brett Veach and I think like, hey, I know that maybe I can go get, you know, two guys that can give me each you know, 80% or 75% of Chris Jones, and we'll just rotate the hell out of this thing until we can get there, I'm, I'd be tempted right now just to get pieces on the field that can help my team. Real quick, I just <laughs> want to look it up. Just general recent tag and trades that have happened in the NFL. A lot of defensive linemen, surprisingly, get this get this treatment. Uh, so just some recent ones. Yannick Ngakwe was tag and trade, got a second and a conditional fifth for Yannick Ngakwe. And again, I think a lot of these guys are quite a bit younger than Chris Jones, but still, they're not Chris Jones caliber. Texans sent Javion Clowney to the Seahawks for a third, Barkevius Mingo and Jacob Martin. 
So you got two players and a third round pick. The illustrious Frank Clark deal. If we got the Frank Clark deal, I'd be like, Brett Veach, you were a genius. And then even like D Ford, we did the same thing to D Ford. We got a second out of him, which ended up nabbing us Willie Gay. So it's not out of the question to get high capital after a tag and trade with elite level defensive line because it's happened relatively frequently in the NFL in recent years. Yeah, I and that's those are good examples. My only concern is if it's after a holdout, and to your point, like Jacob, if he comes back and gets four sacks for the rest of that season, what are you looking at at the end of that for a 30-year-old Chris Jones? Well, you're right. What does the scenario even end up being in that case where you're like, right, Chris, well, we enjoyed having you. Um, you still want that kind of money you were asking for before? Uh, I just looked it up quickly. Chris Jones, two best years of 15 and a half sacks, both contract years. So clearly they should just tag him every single year until he's broken and cannot play anymore. Uh, the second best seasons, nine sacks. So keep the man on a contract year. All right, last thing here about the defensive line, then we'll dive into this. What apparently, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this, they only keep 53 players on a roster. Such news. an antiquated number. News we had a game and they didn't add us more players on the roster. <laughs> uh, but the Chiefs did did work to address defensive tackle today in an unprecedented deal. Not because of the player or the compensation, but just because who it was with. The Chiefs traded a sixth-round pick for defensive tackle Neil Farrell, who was a fourth-round pick last year of the Las Vegas Raiders. You heard that right. The Chiefs made a trade with the Raiders. And Neil Farrell is now on the 53-man roster for the Kansas City Chiefs. For reference, uh, I'm a... If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time during draft season, you know I have a problem, and I love draft season. And so one of the draft guides that I bought was from the Kansas City Sports Network, who's... They do fantastic work in any local team. You should follow them. They're wonderful. They're actual professionals. So they had a draft guide where they listed Neil Farrell as a sixth-round grade. Kind of a nose-tackle-ish type kind of guy. Fitting into that Derek Noddy mold. Uh, or what, what you would want Derek Noddy to do. Not necessarily a Derek Noddy style of play. But that kind of dude is going to play defensive tackle as a nose and... and fill up gaps and let other guys shoot the gaps or rush the passer. That seems to be what his role will be, which makes me sad because that means the Chiefs cut Danny Shelton. But we'll get to that in a minute. Do you guys think this trade is the end of the Chiefs trying to address defensive line and their pass rush? Do you think Rick Beach is going to start scouring anywhere, try to find another deal to be had? It's kind of harder to do now, now that we've cut down to 53. But there are still a couple of veteran names out there on the free agency, in free agency. You never know what, you know, if you're if you're the Chiefs and Chris Jones backs you in a corner, are you willing to move like a second round pick to go get somebody? What do you guys think? Do you think Beach is done? Do you think they add more? Where Before week one, uh, Sam, we'll start with you. So I loved how you framed it initially, Sean, where you said, is this the end of Beach trying to fix the Chiefs' pass rush with defensive linemen with a guy that had zero sacks? 
and 19 tackles. <laughs> like, uh, he, he's a body. Um, the defensive line, the defensive tackle play specifically in the, in the preseason was not inspiring, I would say, to say the least. So, uh, hold up, Sam. Are you considering Charles Amenehue a D tackle or a D in? <laughs> Charles Amenehue is suspended. Fair enough. That's what I look at Charles Amenehue as as a guy that will not be on the team for six games. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't see this being a long term pro or a, a long term holdover. Um, I think it's a body. And the Chiefs needed another defensive tackle because, again, Charles O'Minihue will not be playing for six games, and we don't know when Chris Jones will play. Jay, what about you? Where Do you think this is the end? Do you think Beach has more planned? Where do you think the Chiefs go from here to try and help defensive line? Yes. Again, yes. <laughs> like we've talked about, they're kind of in a tough spot because who are you really going to add at this point? And you don't want to break the bank to bring in Chris Jones and give in. So my answer still is yes. Yes. I hope not would be my answer because you cut Danny Shelton to then give up a draft pick to go get somebody who probably plays a lot like Danny Shelton. And that makes me upset. Felt very much like a Royals process trade, and that bothers the hell out of me. I hope that they are monitoring guys like Carlos Dunlap out there in free agency and have a have a good idea of what it will cost to go and get those guys. Because I don't think you can reasonably go into the season and expect this defensive line to perform at a level that is anywhere close to where it was last year. And we had questions last year, right? Like, we didn't know what George Karloftis was going to be. We knew Frank Clark was a question mark. There were questions all over the place. You know, are you willing to go get Carlos Dunlap? Are you willing to take a flyer on a Robert Quinn? Are you willing to see what Ndamukong Sue wants to do four weeks in? You know, I... It's it's not ideal. Like this, this is not the position you want to be in. To be clear, if you're the Chiefs, you don't want to be looking at guys at the end of their career and praying to God you can squeeze out anything that's left. And hopefully, it'll be enough to help get you over the hump. At least until Chris Jones or Charles Menehu is able to play football or wants to play football. In Chris Jones' case, I was listening to the newly minted Only Weird Games, formerly Times Ours with Seth Kaiser, Nate Taylor, and Josh Briscoe, which they are now at KCSN, which is, I think, going to end up being the dominant media uh, mogul in Kansas City for any local teams. But they were talking about the defensive line, and Nate Taylor asked, like, who do you guys think is the... And he had, it was kind of a rhetorical question because he had the answer. It's like, who's the best interior pass rusher the Chiefs have right now on the active roster? and to a man, they said, Mike Dana. And I agree. Like, if he's fully healthy, maybe Tershawn Wharton, but he's coming off an ACL injury and played football. So I I hope they're not done because I – it is not pretty. Give Leo Chanel a Sharpie. 
let him draw on his arms again and put the man at defensive tackle and just say, hey, go get the ball. Did you did you listen to me? Have you seen the replacements? He's Danny. Danny, go get the ball. Give me that ball. Did you listen to the the episode? I have not yet. Again, I I saw they, the announcement on Twitter very quick. Very they one hundred percent suggested that. Oh, so great, great minds, minds think alike. Great minds, man. Great <laughs> minds. And I, you know what? I've heard worse thoughts. Leo Chanel is great at moving forward. He's wildly strong. Holds up, def- like, hey, man. If you're in a pinch, like, there are worse thoughts. I mean. Pat Bay put some small men playing defensive tackle. Well, won't shout out any names, but I think if you played in the Ottawa Ottawa football team from 2006 to 2008, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Like a 5'6", 185. <sighs> kind of a roly-poly now with refs WWE or wrestling matches. Oh, I wasn't going there. I was talking about how small I was playing defensive tackle. Oh, you too. <laughs> and, then a, and then a kid with really long, big feet. What you're trying to say is if kids are slow in high school, they play line. Exactly. <laughs> when they don't do cuts. Speaking of cuts, Jacob, I love you. There are so many of them today. As we're recording this on Tuesday, August 29th, Chiefs are down to a 53-man roster. I will give that number to give those names to you here now. This is from A to Z Sports, uh, from an article by one of our favorites, Charles Goldman. He broke all the positions down. Chiefs ended up keeping, starting with the offense, two quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Blaine Gabbert, three running backs with Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, three tight ends, Travis Kelsey, Noah Gray, and Blake Bell, uh, ended up keeping seven wide receivers, which you know we actually did also agree with the idea that that was probably going to happen. Those receivers are Kadarius Tony, Marquez Valdez Scantling, Sky Moore, Justin Watson, Rashi Rice, Richie James, and Justin Ross. They also keep 10 offensive linemen with Donovan Smith, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Jawan Taylor, Nick Allegretti, Prince Tegawanogu, Wanya Morris, Lucas Nyang, and Mike Caliendo. Moving to the defensive side, they keep deep 10 defensive linemen with George Karloftis, Mike Dana, Felix Sanyudike Osama, Malik Herring, BJ Thompson, Neil Farrell Jr., who they traded for today, Derek Nani, Matt Dickerson, Tershawn Wharton, and Keandre Coburn. For linebackers, they ended up keeping six, which I was more than a little surprised about. But those six are Nick Bolton, Drew Tranquil, Willie Gay Jr., Leo Chanel, Cam Jones, and Jack Cochran. In the secondary, they keep Legereus Sneed, Trent McDuffie, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, and Nick Jones. And in the safety Group, they keep Justin Reed, Brian Cook, Mike Edwards, Shamari Connor, and then obviously the three specialists with Harrison Butker, Tommy Townsend, and James Winchester. So, now that I got all that long winded out, anything surprise you guys? Anybody not on this roster, any cut, but he got cut that jumps out to you as shocking or surprising? Who's Who, if anyone, is that for you? Sam will let you bat lead off this time. I think there's some some pretty obvious ones, uh, namely quarterback with Shane Bouchel. I I really didn't think they'd try wave him because I would be surprised if he doesn't get picked up. But again, he played didn't play the best game. I saw someone on on Twitter saying Juan Thornhill owes Shane Bouchel a, an apology because it's like 
Juan, you know what's going on. This isn't even fair. Like, you know the playbook. Stop. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think Shane Buchel is the big one. I think the second biggest or, or kind of tied for the two would be the two defensive linemen and um, specifically Kando. And, well, Kando's not necessarily a su- huge surprise but because he hasn't made the roster the past two years. And then, but Danny Shelton, I think, is the big one where that one was like, that, that, that is interesting as we talked about going out and spending draft capital to get a guy that is basically Danny Shelton who you have on your roster. So I think that one was, those are my two that I I looked at and was just very, very interested in in the tactics behind it. Jake, what about you? Where, where were the surprises for you? Was there anybody cut that you were shocked by or didn't expect? I'm going to actually fully disagree with Sam on this one because I feel like, the two he mentioned were the guys I said last week, I think didn't make it. But Darian Kennard, you know, I should have read more into because it's been, you know, I'll say two years, really, two preseasons, and there wasn't much exciting about it. it but they cut it. I mean, I think it was just a surprise since it's been a fifth-round pick on him. But, I mean, in reality, I should have been like, was not that exciting what we had seen from him. Um but I still think he was the biggest surprise of the bunch. After watching Shane Bouchelle this week especially, I was like, it's Gabbert for sure. And then, of course, Gabbert came onto the field and also threw a pick six. Yeah, Kennard was the one. And then the other was, I thought P. Ryan for sure was making it after the way he looked. I mean, he looked very fast. I was like, okay, this guy's going to stick around. Then he caught a pass and... Broke a couple tackles. I was like, all right. I was like, all right, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to get traded. <laughs> sure enough, they're like, no, nah, we'll put P. Ryan on the practice squad or try to. And just real quick for you go, Sean. For any new Chiefs fans, football fans, the fact that we are surprised that a fifth-round pick didn't make the roster tells you how lucky and uh, blessed we've been with a lot of our late-round picks recently. Because that's basically a like a fifth round offensive lineman is like you're a practice squad player. Good job, bud. And Kennard was definitely one of mine. Danny Shelton to me was a surprise. More so after it was more disappointment initially, but then definitive surprise after they go trade for Neil Farrell Jr. That at that point I became surprised because you didn't have to give up draft capital to keep the guy who was actually performing better than the guy you traded for or the guy that you kept on your roster with Derek Nottie. Like, I, I think Danny Shelton had a better preseason than Derek Nottie did. But you kept one, you cut the other, and then you traded for the other guy. So that, that surprised me a lot. Most of this other stuff, it wasn't too surprising outside of Darian Kennard. I was a little surprised they didn't keep four running backs, whether that was Denaric Prince or, like you guys said, uh, P. Ryan. I was, especially after this third preseason game, I was very impressed with how that running back group looked. But those were my big ones. Was Danny Shelton after just kind of the process to get to how they filled the defensive line room? And then Darian Kennard, because, again, draft capital matters with general managers. And so to see them move on so quickly from a guy who does have some offensive line versatility was surprising to me. 
it, to me that says they don't believe very much in his ability to play tackle and therefore his versatility is muted. So they were felt comfortable moving on from him. Now that it's all said and done, how do you feel about the roster construction? You've gotten to see the final 53, man. We, we have the, the names. We've got the position groups. How do we feel about it? What do we think of the construction of this roster? Is there anything you would have done differently? Jacob, will let you bat lead off. Yeah, I would have asked Chris Jones to settle on a little less money. <laughs> That's about it. It did surprise me how thin they went in the secondary as well, though. Um, it says to me that they'll keep, you know, probably three or four call-up guys on their practice squad just in case uh, in the secondary. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, I after watching the wide receivers in the preseason, I felt a lot more confident. I mean, I was always in the mindset of Patrick Mahomes can make anybody work. But at the same time, it's there's a little bit of hesitation when you say that. Yeah, I just... Uh, I'm scared about interior defensive line, but that's about it. Sam, what about you? Was there anything you would have done differently in the construction of this roster? Uh, I think the Jacob hit the biggest one was the surprising aspect of, of the relative thinness at cornerback, not necessarily defensive back. Um, only keeping five cornerbacks with adding an extra safety in there and Jamari Connor. Um, but I think what that – it's interesting because I think they trust Drew Tranquil to potentially play some, like, dime safety, like being a big safety, essentially, if necessary. And you can play – he'd be the third safety, essentially. And I think, like, Jamari Connor is a special teams guy. Cam Jones is a special teams guy. Like, he looked good, but let's be honest, he's, he's not beating out the linebackers that are in front of him to be that – so I think that's the only area of surprise. Obviously, still uncomfortable with defensive line um, in general. And that, that goes across the whole line just because we don't have, like, George is the most, com- like, decorated defensive lineman on the line, and he's a second-year player. Um, that's a little, a little unnerving as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the defensive back, Defensive backs, cornerbacks specifically, the only thing that I would have maybe done a little differently of, of keeping a uh, keeping a sixth potentially. I was surprised at how many linebackers were kept until I see that B.J. Thompson was listed as defensive line, which I think gives a big indicator into what they see his role is going to be. I would have tried to find a way to keep three quarterbacks. I think that's. You know, I get that. You know, we added a roster spot. I get it. It's easier when you can keep 54 instead of 53. But still, I would have liked to keep three quarterbacks, especially with how what I, I that last game was awful for Gabbert and Buchel. It wasn't good. It was, it was rough. But Buchel had shown enough to me that it's like you. He deserves to be on the roster. Keeping four running backs would have been nice. I don't know that you need to keep. Uh, no, maybe maybe like Blake Bell can go and keep Matt Bushman just because I think Matt Bushman has shown he can be a really good blocker but also has more receiving acumen than I think Blake Bell has shown at this point. I, I just think there's some things that I might have done differently position by position. Overall, I think the construction is good. 
there are just some individual pieces I might have changed here and there. But overall, not not enough notes to make me upset about anything. I have wanted it. Keep Bushy. Keep Bushy over Bell. <laughs> I thought he looked kind of fun. I thought he looked like he was kind of a load to tackle. Yeah, I, I thought he showed enough in the receiving game that I thought he had a definitive edge on Bell. Yeah, I wish I would have been able to watch Matt Bushman block more, like, more distinctly, because I'm sure that's probably what it came down to. In the trenches, I, okay, so full disclosure, I got to work the Chiefs game last week, which means I'm in the broadcast booth with a set of binoculars, and usually I am zeroed in on wherever the ball is, or typically in the trenches at least. Now, I thought he looked good. Nate Taylor on today's episode of or the inaugural episode of Only Weird Games talked about Bushman's been one of the better blocker. He's been the second best run blocker behind Blake Bell and probably one of the best pass blockers they have. So, again, when I heard that, that was when I was like, okay, well then what are we doing? Because if you can just be good as a run as a blocker and then show enough in that passing game where you can run three tight end sets kind of like they did last year at times with like Jody Forson, Kelsey, Gray. I think that's a huge advantage. So yeah, I was I was definitely a little surprised about that one. Let's let's all be honest. The only reason you wanted Matt Bushman is because you're all missing Anthony Short or uh, Sherman. A little bit. Not gonna lie. We all want a, a traditional fullback that we can see catch a random out pass and take it forty yards. Wrong again. Wrong again. I just I needed my BYU quota of players on the team. I just wanted a fullback wheel route. That's all. Last question for the night, and we'll get out of here. How close is this roster to the one you'll see against the Lions? There's already they're already like even in the the article from Charles Goldman about um, the final fifty three, he mentions just for example that. He doesn't think they're done making moves on the defensive line. Matt Dickerson could end up on injured reserve with his turf toe injury. That would allow the team to bring a player like Shelton back as early as tomorrow. So we could still see some definitive movement at different places, depending on who they think they can stash, who they think they can put on IR. We kind of joked about this a little bit last week on who gets the phantom IR injury. It looks like there are some guys who might actually land there, but they don't want to get away. What do you guys think? How how close is this roster to what you'll see on an opening night against the Lions? Jacob, we'll start with you. Yeah, like two players, but you know nothing significant. Sam, what about you? Is there any? Is this is this it? Are there any changes you think coming? How close is this roster to being done? Eh, I think ninety percent. I think you can see some, like like you said, several players go on IR. Um, I, I still think I would be very surprised if BJ Thompson plays much this year. Like he is very easily the candidate of the phantom injury and saying, okay, let's go get a, a more experienced guy. But it's, I think I, I would say the offensive side is probably set. It's the defense that you'll see altered a little bit. I believe. I think 90% is a really nice number. I think it makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Wouldn't be surprised if you end up seeing a veteran get brought back like a Danny Shelton or a Carlos Dunlap if they do put Dickerson on IR. I think most of this roster is pretty much set in stone, so 90-95% is probably done, unless something drastic happens with Chris Jones, at which point I might say 85%, depending on what 
that thing that happens is whether or not they end up with a bunch of draft capital or new players or whatever the case might be. I think this roster is pretty much set outside of those guys that they might move around to IR like a, a like as you mentioned, like BJ Thompson or something like that, or Dickerson in the case of what, what Goldman wrote about. And real quick, Sean, you may know not may not know this, you may know it. How they can move guys correct on and off the practice field whenever, right? Practice squad. Like yeah. there's not yeah. any time. So that's the thing is some of these guys could be they could be waiting for teams to get more settled in their own teams to then try to sneak a guy onto the back practice squad. Like they could hold a guy that they're like, okay, we may not be able to get him off on this first round of cuts, but if we wait till after the first game, potentially, let's go then. It may not work, but it's more likely because teams have had two weeks to build their roster fully, pick up guys off other teams, and it's going to be more unlikely for them to jump on a player immediately. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. We have the names. We've got the roster. We are closing in on opening night. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next week.